0: So, uh, welcome to Emmaus Church as we do some light reading and teaching in the book of Revelation. They're like, what? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> true story. Uh, we are doing the seven letters to the book of Revelation. We're excited about it. It's, um, as we look at this today in this teaching, hopefully you will see um, as the Lord gives this revelation um, to his church through the Apostle John, that during the time it was written, the, the persecution they were going through, the stuff they were going through, sometimes it scares us. From their point of view, this was a blessing. And many probably cried with joy as they heard the deliverance that the Lord was bringing. Um, as, we, as we look at things today, and we're going to be in Revelation uh, 2, 8 through 11. And um, one of the things that we're going we're to touch on is fear. The Lord tells them not to fear. Um, Sometimes we have an unhealthy fear or maybe an anxiety. Sometimes it can be healthy and sometimes it's unhealthy. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I was looking this week, uh, one of the rarest fears, and maybe someone has it in here, uh, but it's legit nonetheless, is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the top of your mouth. That is a legit fear that I do not have, but some do. Um, I'm afraid of small spaces, Um, always have been. In fact, my really wonderful friends Well, if we're traveling somewhere, they're like, let's take the elevator. No, thank you. I'm a Christian. I take the stairs. When I was a kid, and still to this day, I'm not a huge fan of mice, Any people afraid of mice. My wife should be raising her hand. She's extremely fearful of them. I don't I'm not, I don't really like them. Uh, when I was a child I, or a teenager, I thought that there was a mouse that was, like, getting my, in my bed at night and, like, running across my chest. And one night, I caught it. It turns out it was my hand falling asleep every night on my chest. Yeah, so... Fear. And the Lord is going to talk to them about fear. And it's funny, too, and, again, there is a healthy, you know... Um, he- healthy dose of fear, right? Fear of the Lord, fear, like, it's just a respect. But then there's an unhealthy, and the Lord will speak to us about those things. Maybe the Lord's gonna call you to some things that you're afraid of. In fact, I hope that he does. Um, it's funny, if someone would've known me in middle school, especially growing up or in elementary school, I was petrified to do any public speaking. And it's funny when the Lord says, guess what I'm gonna call you to do? And one of the beauties of, is you into your calling, you realize, like, this is, not, this is not me. This is the Lord. Fear is something that um, has captured our society. And if that is one of the things that you would see today, the Lord is saying, my child, stop living in fear. Stop living in anxiety. And taste and see that the Lord is good. Read with me in Revelation 2, 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, open up our hearts and our minds, individually and corporately, as the body of Christ today as we hear these warnings and encouragements from the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation to your church then, but also to the church now, for you are coming back for your bride to judge the world. Father, and that is a somber thing, but it's also a beautiful thing. Lord, we await your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus in this and he does this in all of the letters in the beginning of each letter uh, same with last week this is to the angel of the church in Smyrna these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again and this is an important thing this is this is very formal this is a show of authority and what's going on is there's a showdown see in the time of the book of revelation when John is on this island he's on this island because he's preaching the gospel And one of the things that they would preach the gospel in is Jesus is Lord and no one else. Well, the emperors at that time, in the time of Christ and the apostles, they would say, like civilizations before them, that they were gods. And their gods are very different than the God that we serve. And so... The Lord is saying something about himself here. He is the first and the last who died and he came to life. And in each letter, you will pick that up. And John is wanting you to know this isn't some false deity. This isn't some demi-God. This isn't someone like Zeus or Apollos who who had a beginning. Like we serve the great I am, I am that I am, who died and rose again, right? This God is different. He doesn't sin like their God's sin. Our God is sinless. Their gods hurt and abuse people. This God said, I will come to this earth to serve you by dying for you on a rescue mission. This God is different. Amen? And as as we see this and we read this, would we also take that in, just the authority of who our God is, his sovereignty that does not end, his love that does not end, but also his humility and compassion. In each of the letters, it will say, and I think this is just an important thing as you're reading this. In each of the letters in the beginning, it'll say to the church of Ephesus, or like this week, to the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. There is a little bit of a debate among Christians. Does this word angel mean messenger or bishop, which it can, or does it mean angel And I think that's an important thing for us to look at just in the beginning, because you might be asking that same question, like, okay, who are these angels? It very well could be that he's saying, hey, to the leader, to the bishop of that church, I'm writing this to you. It very well could be to the angels. Why is this important? First of all, Christians disagree with this definition, and it's okay. And some of you might be looking at this as well and say, okay, what is this? So I just want to point this out. In our leadership, we do believe in angels. We believe in demons and principalities. However, we don't worship angels or the supernatural, but we do serve the God of the impossible and the supernatural. Do we understand that? And whether it's angels or whether it's bishops in there, depending on your translation, it really doesn't change the fundamental truth of each letter. Does that make sense? But I do want us to understand as we look at these things and we go through our own season of light and darkness in this world, that we would understand Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what it means, whether that's a bishop or whether that's an angel, guess what? There's spiritual forces going around us that we can't always see, but we better recognize and fight the right battle whether it be raising your kids, whether honoring your marriage or your singleness or your business or whatever it would be, that you would say, I am going to pray in Jesus' name and I'm going to fight this spiritual battle. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people are called to intervene through the discipline of prayer. And understand, like I was there looking at the book of Revelation, they're understanding that God is coming back to judge the world. They understand that the Lord is coming to turn things upside down. Prayer and a heavenly perspective isn't crazy or weird. It's essential for the faith. And I think something that that's re- we have to be careful with, in our day and time, we just don't have time to pray. We don't have time to intercede. We're way too intellectual sometimes, and I know that sounds weird for you intellectual people, Right? i was saying is like, does God use that strategic? Absolutely, but may we hear from the Lord. May we be led by the Spirit. May we engage in prayer, and even, especially the world will see that, but even Christians will say, man, you, you don't need to pray about this. No, we do, and I encourage you to do that. Healthy, wealthy, and popular. The American dream isn't always a biblical goal. God wants to bless you and bring your favor, that's for sure, but it doesn't always mean you'll be healthy, wealthy, and super liked by everyone. In the time of Jesus, this was a common belief. If you were healthy, if you were wealthy, if you had some power, then you did something to deserve that. There's many religions now that would say that. And if you're not healthy, wealthy, and powerful, you probably did some type of sin that deserve that. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. All right. So in that part where Jesus is saying, I know your affliction, I know your poverty, I know there's persecution, but you are rich. And in our world, this Western world, we need to hear that. If you have Jesus, you are rich no matter what you're going through. Remember, Jesus turned this world upside down with teachings like the first will be last and the last will be first. Matthew 20, 16. This was something that was counter their culture. Well, guess what it is today, too? And you and I can get caught up in it. I don't raise my kids to be last. I raise them to be first. Amen. (laughs) (coughs) But sometimes that's in conflict with the scripture or maybe their character, right? Do we teach our children to be kind, And to stick up for the underdog, to love people, to stand up for the word of God, or we say, no, you just be the first in class. Matthew 6, 24 reminds us that you cannot serve both God and money, and here as Americans, we struggle with that. Many of us have more than what we need, but yet the world tells us we're poor, so we think that money will fix whatever our burden is. Or as in John 9, 1 through 3, it says as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. And Jesus replies, Neither this man nor his parents sin. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So again, like Jesus is turned things upside down, for in their world and their understanding, if you had a sickness, if you had a cough like I've had for the last month, like, oh, sinner. Right? And God's like, no, no, this isn't. Yeah, this sin entered the world, and that's why there's sickness. But that doesn't mean that there's a direct correlation to that person's sinning. But God says, either way, this is going to be used for the glorification of God, that he would come and intervene. And again, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. And some of us need to be reminded of that today. Missionary and minister uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the Lord confers great honor on his servants when he brings them suffering. I don't want that to, that, that's a man who went through some suffering and he ministered during the time of World War II with the Nazis. The Lord confers great honor on his servants when he brings them suffering. You see, there's, there's a cost of following Jesus and. Um, the church in Smyrna is going through it. And last week, church in Ephesus, God said, "Man, I love that you're that you're against these false doctrines, but you forgot your first love in the process." And many believe part of what's going on too with Ephesus is, is they're not uh, they're they're bowing a knee to the emperor and uh, for financial gain. And God reminds them, "You you forgot your first love." And here you have this other church that's that's honestly struggling. And Jesus, let me remind you, you're rich. For there is a cost of following Jesus. And even in the church in America, and Pastor Michael and I, we want to, and our elders, we want to see this church grow, absolutely, but not at the cost of forgetting the cost of following Jesus. And even in the church, just because we're healthy, just because we're wealthy or doing well doesn't mean we're walking in the Lord. So there's many things that we put before us to test those things because we don't want to walk without Jesus because we know that it always brings death. So to the believer, Jesus says, take up your cross. Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And this, of course, Jesus is saying this right after telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter didn't want Jesus to die on the cross. He was about a different mission. One to overthrow the Romans and, and put God's people, Israel, back on top the, of, the, of the food chain, so to speak. And Jesus said, now I've come to save you and also all your enemies and all those who are lost that want to be found. And we need to be reminded of that. And this doesn't mean that we save ourselves. It doesn't mean that that works save us. You are saved by the grace of God. However, to follow Jesus Christ will cost you sometimes friends, sometimes your health, because the world hates you, like the spiritual world hates you. You're part of the fallen world, right? All the things. God doesn't say, follow me and everything will be great, but he does say, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when we understand that, then we could embrace the fact that we are rich. Amen. And again, the church in Smyrna, just like today, but way worse, they were dealing with these really bad narcissistic leaders who thought they were gods. Not just narcissistic, like in the sense that they act, no, they thought they were gods. Domitian was the emperor of the time, and he was one of the worst. And his own wife would have to tell him, like she would, hey, honey, no, 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 I am Lord and I am God. Right? And then people, if he was coming in as the emperor, you bowed before him. And as we look at even like from the mark of the beast to the dragon to the number before you can get like food and stuff that we know like some of that will happen and and what form and fashion, we're not sure. That stuff was happening then and there. And what was happening in Smyrna is they were, like, they were being persecuted because they would not see the emperor as a god. They would not bow before him. Therefore, sometimes they couldn't trade. They couldn't get food. They couldn't go to the grocery store because they would not bow a knee. And the Lord says, you are rich. Rome, men who thought they were gods. Egypt, men who thought they were gods. The Babylonians, men who thought they were gods. Do you see a cycle? The gospel is free, but there is a cost in following Jesus. And one of the greatest things, that reminds us, lesser of us and more of him. Amen? That he is God and that we are not. There's t- tons throughout the, 2,000 years, one of the things that happens in a lot of false theologies, and we start to serve God as his sons and daughters, but then we say, God, why don't you get out of the picture and let us shine? Right? Watch out for that. Watch out for saying, I will follow you, God, as long as everything is great and wonderful and every book of the Bible is about me and I'll follow you as long as I'm healthy and wealthy and happy, that's, that's not life and that's not the riches that God promises. Billy Graham said this, the Bible clearly says that faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. Persecution is one of the natural consequences of living the Christian life. It is to the Christian life what growing pains are to the growing child. No pain, no development. No suffering, no glory. No struggle, no victory. No persecution, no reward. Now again, we're not encouraging you to go say, hey, go be mean to people and obnoxious so people hate you and call that persecution. That's not what we're trying to say here from the pulpit. But as you're in a world just like back then, and you live your life in a way that you don't have to always be first. You understand it's okay to be last sometimes, and you're just you've decided I will not bow down to the spirit of this world that is obnoxious and prideful. And said, I'm going to raise me and my kids to work. we're all that matters. In fact, parents, I would encourage you do not raise your children this way. It will not have a, if we think that society has a bad outcome of that. Well, more will come. Until we decide, no longer will we raise our kids in this way. Amen? Or how about if you're in any type of authority, a parent, a husband, a business owner, a wife, a mom, Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles and lord your authority over people. Be a good leader. Don't lord it. This was radical teaching. How about to forgive and turn the other cheek? We live in a world that becomes more unforgiving, and sadly, Christians are right along with it. Can't talk to that person, can't be in that room, can't go to that church. Oh, can't walk down that aisle, you know, they, they looked at me weird, you know, or whatever it would be, right? And I know it's, it's way more serious than that sometimes. You just start walking in forgiveness and restoration, and people will say that you're just a doormat. Start living as if sin can be forgiven and you can be transformed. And you say, man, if you want Jesus, come on in. I don't care if you are on death row. Come on in. I don't care if you really hurt some people and deserve some jail time. Come on in. I don't care if you have some addictions. Come on in. I don't care if you have no addictions. Come on in. You want to follow Jesus? Come on. 17 years ago when we were looking at planning this church and they said, you know, what's your target audience? And we said, people. And like, no, 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 no. Seriously, who are you going to target? We're like, people that need Jesus. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. (laughs) The Testament church taught every human is created in the image of God and absolutely transformed the Roman Empire so much. The two things they taught, that every human, whether you like him or not, is created in the image of God and that no one is God. This was dangerous to the Roman emperor because it was a contagious religion of orphans, widows, and women and God was using it, and it was radical. The fact that this God would come to forgive and not use and torment like the gods of the Romans, that this God was sovereign and good unlike the false gods of the Romans. Sometimes counting the cost, just like 2,000 years ago, is important now. In this message of not to fear, Jesus tells us not to worry or have fear, and again, is there's good fear and there's bad fear. Second Timothy one seven, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. That spirit, a fear is different than having, you know, like my oldest daughter, is sixteen, and one of the things we want to teach her is to have just some reverence for the car that she's driving cuz she could hurt herself or someone else that's that's a, we pray she'd have more of that we're like right but then there's a difference between you are just like you're crippled you're crippled you won't do anything you won't you won't take persecution you won't stand up for truth some of us fear has just taken hold of you're afraid to be single cuz you might miss out on something You're afraid to be faithful and married because you might miss out on something. You're afraid to raise your, like the list goes on and on. Some of us, the Lord is calling to maybe help someone out financially, but you're really afraid that the Lord that blessed you won't bless you again. His blessings run out. Like fear is very disruptive for the falls of Christ and the enemy knows it. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Why? Why can we cast our fear and anxiety? We have it. God knows it. Whenever there's an angel of the Lord in the Bible, the first thing they say, hey, don't be afraid, right? And you're probably gonna be afraid, don't be afraid. God knows we're gonna be afraid. He's not mad at you because you're afraid. But as you're fearful or you maybe have anxiety, do you cast those on the Lord or do you just, just bind them up? Or some of us, you say, I'm, just, I'm a person that's anxious, I'm a person that's fearful. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the Lord, he tells him, guess what? And out of the seven letters, there's two that get encouragement, and is one of them. They're not healthy, they're not wealthy, they're not popular, right? They're not doing well. But God says, you're rich. Don't miss the riches. Don't miss the riches of following the Lord for just the scraps what this world has to offer. Is it okay to be healthy and wealthy and, and, and popular or have some, po-? yeah, absolutely, but it can't be your idol. It can't be your God. It can't be your king. Right, what Scripture says, it's the love of money that is bad, not having money. God's called some of us to have money in different portions for a reason. But don't let it own you. And he's telling them, because you're standing up for me, you're, guess what? Satan's coming. And you're, some of you are going to be put in jail for your faith. And he says, don't be afraid of that, because I'm going to do something great. Um, one, of the, one of the bishops, um, his name is Bishop... Polycarp, I don't know if I'm um, pronouncing his name right, but he was 27 years old when the book of Revelation was written, and he was personally discipled by the Apostle John. Um, at, the age of, at the age of 86 years old, he was put to death because he would not deny Jesus as Lord. And as being a very old man, and they, you know, they... They made the decree. Hey, if you're not going to bow a knee, we're in, especially these Christians, like if you don't, if you won't bow a knee, we're going to kill you. And here he was, a very recognized, wise old man, and, and this this faithful leader. And as they went, as history shows us, they went to go to go get him. Um, they didn't want to kill him, so they kept giving him a way out. Well, if, you, if you'll just say the emperor like is kind of king and kind of lord, and he wouldn't do it. Like, they gave him every, well, if you'll just say that, you know, the emperor has this, and he goes, no. And his reply at, at, his, at his death, he said, 86 years I have served him. He had never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? For this bishop, who was discipled by John, had walked in the word of God and the spirit of God, and he had the fruit of being fearless. Think of the things that you would do if you weren't afraid that your life was short as it is for everyone. Just think of the things that you'd do if you weren't afraid of being hurt, who you you would be nice to, who you would be kind to, what business you would start or stop or whatever. As you look at the Apostle Paul, and you look at this bishop, and again, you look at like even the book of Revelation as it's written, John's the last one. And he's writing this, this book that's letting the early church know, hey, you're going to go through some stuff. And then guess what? 2,000 years, we're going to get this same letter. Hey, we're, we know we're still going to go through some stuff. And the message today would be, don't be afraid. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And we look at some of these men and women of the Bible, and we see it today, too, that there is this spirit the Lord can give us. Our world is crippled by anxiety. We're so afraid, so afraid. And it's a spiritual thing and a spirit thing that we must fight. And if you're dealing with that today, pray in Jesus' name, you'd let someone pray for you. I've dealt with it in my life. Just illogical anxiety that is n- just makes zero sense, Right? And I still can struggle with it in funny ways. Like, like I'll be honest, like I, like I said, I don't like getting in elevators, right? I, I will double, like my friends will, like, you're gonna walk up all those, uh, all those flights. I'm like, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Sometimes my laziness outweighs my fear. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting in the elevator. God doesn't want you to stay just full of fear and anxiety. Number two, and this is what he says to them and he says to us, Jesus says that this junk, this persecution, this life that you're dealing with will produce something of good. Isaiah 55, 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve for the perfect purpose for which I sent it. See, God uses hardships. The apostle John is sent to the island for punishment. And the enemy thinks, man, I've I've shut him up. But what does God do? He says, perfect, John, I have your attention. Let me give you this revelation that will bless the church, that will let them know what's coming, what they need to rid of their life, and what they need to gain in their life. God uses all sorts of things, even sin and bad choices. See, the enemy, if we turn to Jesus, he just doesn't win if you've sinned, as I have, and every person in here, if they're honest, you get to warn people of the dangers. You give people a path to recovery, and you can be gentle with hurting people because you yourself have been lost. Beautiful thing, the more that the church was persecuted, the faster it grew, and this was by God's design. It scattered, and it grew. Romans 8:29 or 8:28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. And that is a pillar of truth, brothers and sisters, that we need to hold on to. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who has recently went through a divorce, and I was talking to him this week, and man, he's just crying. He's, my truck was here uh, one late night, and he said, Man, can we just talk? And he's just crying. And um, he said, Man, I just want Jesus to come back. You know, and he's just like just venting out. And, he's, and you know, what's crazy is he's, he did a lot of the things, how God can use our sin. He caused his divorce by some really terrible, uh, abusive uh, decisions. Um, and we were able to talk and said, you know, it's crazy because I know, I know this isn't fun, and I know this is not what you would choose, and um, sin found its way. But God gets the final answer, and I'm what, how crazy is it? You're one of your worst times of your life, you're longing for home. You're longing for the second coming of Christ, and honestly, because we're such weak vessels sometimes, if everything was great, you'd probably say, like, Jesus, take your time. I'm good. Then he just started bawling. He's like, yeah, there's some blessings here, huh? I'm like, yeah, I know it's it's, it's not fun, but there are, because God's that good. And if you would hold on to that, you would not walk in fear, you would not walk in anxiety, doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted to, doesn't mean you're not going to fall into it, but you'd, but you'd refuse just to take it, right? You would say, I need prayer. Brothers and sisters, I need prayer. Brothers and sisters, I need the truth of God in me, right? And then we would also hold on to the truth to say whatever we're going through, God's word will not come back void. If we walk into this word, fruit will come, just like the Apostle John who writes this, right? The Apostle Paul Satan thinks he has his way. I'm putting these apostles in prison. And they're like, this is right where we want to be. And he writes three quarters of the New Testament. There are too many times when we let the enemy have his way in our lives because we just don't submit to God in this promise. He works the good in all things, even the things that you chose to do. Third thing as we close today, don't bend a knee to the world. Out of the seven letters, two don't get a rebuke. And Smyrna is one of them. They're not rich. They're not healthy. They're persecuted. They're not doing well. Their numbers are small. But God says, Man, you're rich. And that's because they won't bend a knee to the world. And for us, it's those afflictions of the United States. Some of the blessings have become also idols for us. Everyone puts themselves first. Don't bend to that. It's not good for you. It's not good for your kids. It's not good for your neighbors. Everyone turns a blind eye to make a buck. Don't do it. Don't do it. No one tells the truth anymore. Everyone worships sex, money, and power. Don't bend to the spirit and the emperor behind those lies. Amen. For Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that, um, there are some good things here, right? I love my wife, I love my kids, I love the church, um, and all sorts of other things. But as we go through that rhythm, something I pray for, and, and many of our leaders pray for, and other men and women throughout the world that love Jesus, Lord God, give us a heavenly perspective. When we see pain or we choose pain, would we, would we choose the way of the Lord and that would wake us up? You're going through pain. Don't let the enemy just take that. Let the Lord use it and give you a heavenly perspective. Sometimes you and I, we get way too comfortable and we forget this is not our citizenship. This is not our forever home. And we've gotten too comfortable and got off mission. Verse 11. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And I'll read that first part again, and it would just, it would permeate to us today. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What he said 2,000 years ago, but what he still says now. As the worship team comes up, three um, Three questions. First question, are you struggling with fear and worry? And statistically, 80% of us are right now. Statistically, 80% of us are struggling with fear and worry. And God knows it, and you know it. But the question is, what are you doing about it? Are you asking for prayer? Are you ask, asking for counseling? Are you asking for truth? Are you casting your cares on the Lord and his bride? Too many of us have just, like, our identity is this. I'll always be a worried person. I'll always be in fear. I'll always be a glass half empty because at least then I'm not disappointed. That is fear and worry in an unbiblical perspective. And our prayer today is that you would repent of that, ask prayer for that, and cast your cares on the Lord, and you'll see that he does draw near. Number two, are you carrying your cross and following Jesus? Whatever the Lord calls you to deny and go after, to let go of some things of God, to hold on to some things of God, you have to let go of something else. That's what this cost of following Jesus is. And it's different for every season and every age of your life and generations to come. Seek the Lord on that. In some ways, in, in, there are people in third world countries and Christians in other parts of the, the, of the world, they say, we feel sorry for Americans. Like, well, what do you mean? Well, you have so many blessings, you forget what it is to carry your cross and follow Jesus. And so we have moments like this that we'd say as believers, Lord God, show us, show us what we need to carry as we follow you. And then lastly, do you believe God's promises for those who believe? There's a reason why the Lord is saying, man, Church of Smyrna, I really like you. (laughs) In the world standards, you're not doing well. But I've got some promises for you. There's some junk coming your way. Don't worry about it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it for my glory and for your benefit. And this is going to be good. And they had to believe in God's promises for those who believe. And for some of us, be reminded. Maybe you maybe even need to go through some Bible studies to know what those are. You know, be discipled by some. Be like, oh, I didn't even know. This. Oh, those, that's a promise from the Lord. Wow, that's awesome. For some of us, our prayer would be the Lord would give us a new heart and a new spirit. Amen. If you guys can stand, we're going to close in prayer. Uh, there's communion in the back if you'd like to take part in that. And there will also be people that would love, love to pray for you. Father, Lord God, you are good. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would um, give us even a greater glimpse of your glory, your love, your redemption, and your plan for each of us. That we would draw near to you, Lord God. We know that, that fear will come. You know that anxiety will come. But it doesn't have to own us. It doesn't have to mark us. It doesn't have to be our identity. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would truly cast our fear and anxiety on you and come to the to the Father, Abba Father, which is Daddy. That we would count the cost and follow you, whatever it would be. And that counting the cost just means that we're letting go of lies and sin and junk and the ways of this world and holding on to the promises and truth of the kingdom of God. And in that, Lord God, through the Bible, through your word, but also through your Holy Spirit, write your word on our heart, on every adult here, every child here, That we would not bend a knee to this world. For we serve a God that is greater than anything that the world can take or give. He has forgiven us, he has redeemed us, and he will not let go of us. Fathers, pray for your church that we would worship you this morning in spirit and truth. And find the loving arms of our Father who runs to our rescue. did not come to this world to condemn us, but to redeem us. And for those who have an ear, let them hear, let them receive with money that they cannot buy and nothing that they can do other than say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we receive your promises. Holy Spirit, move among your people in Jesus' name.